Welcome to Mission Viejo Christian Church. Today, Pastor Mike Maiola is bringing the word to you. So open up your Bibles and listen in. It is always a treat to be with our Mission Viejo family here and to open God's word and share with you all. So I do bring you greetings from Malibu. Merry Christmas, uh, according to Shane. And uh, maybe you, like me, are a guest uh, in the sense that uh, this is not the place where you're at every Sunday. Maybe this is your first Sunday here. Maybe you just moved into the neighborhood, or maybe you were just down buying a donut and saw the church and thought, hey, we're going to check this out. You have come to a place where a group of people really love Jesus, and they'd really love to get to know you. Can I get an oh yeah from you on that? So, so I hope you do. Uh, I hope you do check out this church that has been a blessing here in this valley for so long. And also, about 48 hours from now, uh, our country has the opportunity to exercise our freedom to vote. Uh, I hope. I hope we are thankful for that. There are countries in the world that don't know how to spell vote because they don't get a chance to do so. So I hope that you will choose to exercise that right. And uh, there's never going to be a candidate. There's never going to be a ballot measure. There's never going to be a person or persons that we can say, man, if we just had this guy or gal, everything would get fixed. Except, of course, Jesus Christ. And uh, we don't vote for him in the ballot box. We vote for him right here. And if you've never chosen Jesus as the Lord of your life, I hope you'll pass that vote today. You don't need to wait for Tuesday. You can vote for Jesus today, and I hope you do so. And I know that after the message, there'll be some folks right over there under the cross that would love to talk with you uh, about that. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 2 Samuel or on your phone or your devices and go to chapter 21. And I will confess, I have not preached from this section of text in I don't know when, Pastor Mike. So thank you for, for assigning me this weird, arcane section of Scripture. No, it's actually, it's actually a, a, an important part of David's life, and it's been good for me to think about it. Uh, first question is this. There are two kinds of rides at a theme park. There are the slow, gentle, easygoing rides, and some of you say, this is the ride that I want to go on, right? There are no steep drops on this ride. There are no sharp turns. Anybody going to Disneyland recognize this ride? You know what that is? Can we sing the song? Yeah, please don't. It gets stuck in your head, right? So there's the small world ride. It is smooth, and anybody who's lived in Southern California a long time knows on a hot day, it's a great place to take a nap. So that's, that's one kind of ride. Then there are those who go, no way, I want to go to a theme park where I can ride this kind of ride. I want a ride that makes me scream and yell. I want a ride that loops the loop and flips me upside down, and we go this way, and lunch goes that way. I want, I want a ride that shakes me up. My son and I were at a theme park with rides like that, and uh, this had just been a few years ago. He's an adult, and, and we were standing behind this dad. This dad looked like a football player. I mean, he could have been an NFL linebacker. Great big African-American guy, you know, just, just, just a specimen of strength, and his son, who's about this big, and, uh, and his son is trying to be, and, he's, and his dad keeps saying, buddy, you sure? You sure you want to do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to do this, dad. I want to do this. You know, they went up to the deal, and he was just tall enough. I mean, just tall enough. And he was so excited. They were right in the car in front of us. So we watched him get in. 
But then the gal came over and said, all right, now sit still. And da, 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 da. You know, it's one of those where they strap you in because this is going to be bad. You know what I'm talking about? The little padded thing. And his dad pulls his down and the kid pulls, you know, and, and he starts looking around. And I thought, oh, no. Right now he has buyer's remorse at this moment. <laughs> and I hear him start saying, dad, um, dad. And the bed is, what is it? What is it, little man? Called him little man. What is it, little man? Dad, um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I want to do this. And I looked at Taylor, and we both smiled and thought, oh, all right, we're going to watch a parenting moment now, you know. <laughs> well, now, buddy, you said you want, I know, I know, but Dad, Dad, and he's getting louder. Dad, you know, because all the people are checking and giving the thumbs up, up and down the aisle, you know, and then the gal over at the booth is ready. She's about to hit the button. Dad, Dad, she hits the button, and the car edges forward. No, Dad, no, Dad, no, and it stopped. Because there was a stop before you go. Dad, please, please, Dad, please, don't, please. And, and his dad leaned over and said, you in it now, little man. <laughs> and off we went, right? I don't know if that is your idea of just living life. You know, you in it now, little man, here we go. But that is the best picture I could think of for the life of King David. Because King David was this little man, right, who steps out and kills a giant, and he is strapped into a roller coaster of craziness. In fact, it starts out by going up this giant hill to the top where he becomes a hero. Whenever I teach this to kids, I try and help them give ways to remember it. So maybe this is something you can use with your kids or kids' kids. Here we go. Uh, say hero and do this. Everybody say hero. Okay, don't be too cool for school. Come on, get your hands up. Praise their size. Here we go. Everybody say hero. So David starts out as the hero who takes down Goliath, right? One little stone, with it in his sling, and boom. But as soon as he gets over that hill, zoom, because everybody starts thinking, singing rather, David has killed his 10,000, Saul's only killed thousands, and Saul gets angry. He's the king, and bitter, and jealous, and he actually tries to kill David. David ends up on the run hiding in caves. He goes from, what is this? To a, everybody do this and put this right in front of your face. Look right through it. Zero. Zero. Don't say yes you are to the person next to you. Don't do that. Just say, say zero. Now, come on. We've all known that moment when we felt like the hero, right? You know, hey, baby, I found the keys. Hey, you're the hero. I remembered my password. All right, you know, you're a hero. That's great. But we all know the moments when we were this. Is everybody tracking with me on this? You know the moment when you take your friend out to lunch and you wanted to, and you say, no, this is on me, this is on me, and they bring the bill, and you reach back, and your pocket is flat. And you realize you left your wallet at home. And you have to say, um, hey, uh, boo, <laughs> right? You feel like, or you forgot to pick up the things you said you were pick up, or you went, oh, I'm so sorry. Well, there's nothing we can do about it now. And you feel like a what? Yeah. Have you ever had people turn their back on you? You ever gotten fired for doing the right thing? You ever been in a moment where people you thought would stand up for you just looked the other way? Everybody say zero. That's not a fun roller coaster, is it? To go from being a hero to being a zero. But guess what? Every roller coaster has another loop, and David ends up becoming the king. After Saul, David steps up. God actually anoints him. There's battles. And David finally is the leader of Israel. We all want to know what that feels like, right? 
to have somebody, just take your hands and just set a crown on your head. Go ahead and do it. You'll remember it if you do it this way. People that teach education tell me this. So go ahead and put, put, your, hand, put your hands right up in your head and, and, and just say king. Yeah, 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 yeah. What if you were king or queen for the day, right? That's a great feeling. Unfortunately, David's roller coaster now does three loops. Because as a king, he fights battles and good things happen, but he finds himself standing on a roof and looking over and sees his next-door neighbor's wife taking a bath on the roof. Don't blame her. Historians say that that would not have been that, that uh, weird a thing to do. She was, I don't think she was trying to tempt him. My grandma used to put it this way. Well, David had a neck. <laughs> you see what she's saying? David could have said, oh, there's a naked woman over there, but he didn't. He said, oh, there's a naked woman over there, and she's naked. And before you know it, he uses his power and his position as a man of authority, and he demands she come to his bedroom. And he takes what is not his. Not only that, after the night, he kicks her out like a piece of trash, throws her away like a disposable camera. Only it doesn't quite end that way, does it? She sends back a note and says, Dear David, I'm pregnant, and it's yours. And he lies, and he kills. I know, not like with a sword, but he kills like by pressing the button and saying, Get her husband out there in the front of the lines, and then let the army pull back. And before you know it, he's taking her in as his wife. And we reading the story, we watching the movie say, What a creep! Take your hands like this, put it over your face, and just say creep. Go ahead, just say creep. David does creepy things, right? You say, how did he go from being a, come on, help me out, from being a, to being a, then he becomes a, and ends up as a, man, how did this happen? Well, you in it now, little man, it's called life, right? It's ups and downs and roller coaster flips and turns. And the amazing thing is when the story ends, Pastor Mike, he is a man after God's own heart. Isn't it good to know that God can deal with people who have ups and downs? Can I get a, oh yeah? Tell a person next to you, God can deal with your ups and, even if you're married, tell them, God can deal with your ups and downs. But there are giants that have to be slain along the way. Now, there's some notes in your bulletin, and I'm going to ask you to, to get those out because we're going to talk for a minute about a giant that I really didn't see coming until I read this text. You know, often we have giants that have to do uh, with our pitfalls or, our, or maybe our parents or our passions, things that were done to us or things that we did to ourselves. David writes and says in Psalms, for I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. That's such a haunting line to me. Because that line says, let's all admit it. We always feel like it's right there. There are places in Saddleback Valley where I can drive around, even though we haven't lived here for decades. And I go, oh, I remember that. I remember when I got angry in the parking lot over there where the grocery store is. I remember being in Saddleback Hospital and crying because our child was going to have to stay in neonatal intensive care for 10 days where they figured out what was wrong with him. 
There's a part of Niguel Road that I can drive on that feels like I am driving home. I remember when we used to live over here. And there are places that I drive by and go, oh. David says, man, my sin, it's always before me. But today's giant, the last giant we'll deal with, comes towards the end of David's life and is a strange giant because it is the giant of giftedness. You say, wait a minute, I think giftedness is a good thing, isn't it, Pastor? Well, it is, except your gifts can become giants that need slaying. They can do a weird, you know, morphing into giants that actually impede our spiritual growth, that needs slaying. As my grandma used to say when we'd watch westerns together, and finally, you know, the bad guy would get shot, and oh, he'd fall off the cliff. And as a little kid, I'd go, whoa! And she'd say, oh no, he needed killing. <laughs> there, are, there are things in our life where we need to admit, you know what, I just need to deal with this. And that's why Paul says in Romans, for by the grace God gave me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to. But rather do what? Think of yourself with sober judgment. What causes you to have a struggle with that verse? What causes you to start thinking highly of yourself? I think it has to do with your giftedness. When somebody says, man, you are so good at that. Think of David, all right? David starts out as a young man, as a hero, and what is he good at? He's good as a soldier. He's good as a fighter. He's good as a warrior. He's good at defending and slaying. Now fast forward. He killed that giant when he was a teenager. How about we now look at David when he's 60 or so? Follow along. 2 Samuel 21, beginning in verse 15. Once again, there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. Now, anybody reading this story has to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, Philistines. Where did I hear the Philistines before? Oh, that's right. Goliath was a Philistine giant. Oh, dude, here we are, been here, done this. So there was a battle between the Philistines and the Israel, and David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines. Only the next line is different. He became what? Exhausted. All right, the Hebrew word, as I understand it, is not just the word for tired. It's the word for emptied out. It's the word for like, I'm done. It's the word for when you're running a marathon and you hit that 20-mile that mark. I'm sure we've all done that. And you, you, you hit that 20-mile mark. My wife runs marathons, and she said, there's, there's a wall there. And you just get there, and you're just like, oh, I got, all of a sudden it feels like I got nothing. Only think that it's not a race. You got a sword in one hand and a shield in the other. And guess who you're fighting? Oh, wait for this. It's too good. It's a giant. Read on. The Bible says that Ishbi Binab, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed nearly 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword. Hang on. What's this sounding like? It's sounding like the description of Goliath. And I'll tell you why. He's from the same area of Goliath. In fact, I believe he is kin to Goliath. Their historians would suggest that he's actually one of Goliath's, if not his brother, one of his cousins. These giants that came from this area did some reading on giantism and the fact that often it runs in family, in family genes. And so you find this guy, and I'm sorry, the way it's laid out in the text, this guy knew Goliath. And he knew the story of David. 
And now David's not the young man. He's the old geezer with a sword, right? And he's, he's empty. And this giant, Ishibanoth, picks up his sword and says, this one's for Goliath. It's like a scene from like a Lord of the Rings movie because this giant is now coming at David. And David, I, did, he, did he have the ability to even get his sword up? I don't know. And the camera zooms in and you think, David's going to get killed. But just like a really good movie, look what happens. The Bible says, but then Abishai, son of Zeruai, came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. I mean, it's all of a sudden he like jumps in front of him and takes the giant out. And then the Bible says that David's men gathered around him. In my mind, I see David and his soldiers now. These are his young men that he's called to him, that he's trained to him. And they gather around almost like they're defending. Well, they aren't almost. They are defending the king. And when the battle finishes... That circle turns towards David. And they say, sir, you're not coming out onto the battlefield to fight with us anymore. Do, do you know what just happened there? What just happened there was, Grandpa, give me the keys. You can't take my... Grandpa, we love you. Give us the keys. You are not driving anymore. Well, I know how to drive. You nearly got killed. Grandpa, give me... Now, some of you have been there. Some of you know what it feels like to have to ask grandpa or great-grandpa or grandma for the keys. Some of you know what it feels like to be great-grandpa and be saying, no, you can't take that kid. You're not going to... This is my... I wonder how David reacted. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But I do know this. The soldiers didn't just say, give me that sword. You shouldn't be out here. Look, look at the rest of the statement. Never again, read it out loud with me. Never again will you go out with us to battle so that the will not be. They said, David, you don't understand. You don't realize we need you. We can't have you get killed out here. You have more important things to do. Let us do the fighting. Because, dude, you're old. I mean, you know, it's, it's hard, right? Especially in our culture. I'm not old. I can dye my hair, right? You know? I'm not old. I can wear Spanx. I mean, you know? I, 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 I'm not old. I can get the wrinkle cream and I can go to the gym and I can get the tanning machine. But can I speak to my wrinkled homies just for a minute here? When we look in the mirror, we kind of need to admit it. I'm not who I used to be. Pastor Mike, there's some kids living on the street down below me. They were playing basketball the other day. Junior high kids. I just come back from a little hike. You boys want me to show you how it's done? It was not good. My sons, one of them turned 30 and we went skiing together about six months ago. I was excited. I had been skiing a long time. But I mean, you know, once you're skiing, you know, you know what you're doing, right? One son's 30, one son's 25, one son's about 21. 
we get out there, and they found jumps. I don't just mean little jumps. I mean like jumps that were made jumps. Like jumps, if you're standing at the bottom of them, they were above my head. Whoa! And my youngest son, Spencer, no fear. Boom! Sails down, hits that jump. It's like the Olympics, you know? And boom, he lands. Whoa! His brothers are screaming. My second son, just older than him, sails down. Riley, woohoo! And Riley's big and tall. He looks like an eagle, man, just flying. Taylor and I are up at the top, and Taylor just looks at me. <laughs> Dad, ski around the side. <laughs> just ski around, Dad. Excuse me, I taught you how to ski. I was skiing before you were born. <laughs> boom, man. I sail down and I hit that jump and then ah, boom, 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 boom. Things go sideways. My sons are done, done, you know, because I'm laying in the snow, <laughs> embarrassed, irritated. My head hurt a little bit. Dad, man, we thought, we thought you're going to kill yourself. My youngest son, <laughs> who's going to pay for dinner if you do that? I want you to get into the sandals of an old warrior whose gift has become a giant he's got to slay. Because I believe we've all been there. How do you know when your gift has become a giant? Take your bulletin out and note four things. And we'll just we'll wrap this up really simple. Four things. First off, my gifts become a giant when I am more concerned with doing rather than with being. Understand that David was used to doing something. He was the fighter. He was the soldier. He was the one to get out there and get after it. But the men gathered around him and said, Sir, sir, listen, we need you as a leader. They called him the light of Israel. We need you to be who you are. Dad, we don't need you racked up on some stupid ski jump. We need you to pay for dinner. <laughs> we, 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 we want you to be dad. My oldest son's got a kid. We want you to be grandpa. But in order to do that, Mike, I have to admit some stuff. Because I want to be the one. I want to be the one catching air. I want to be the one, hey, video this, video this, right? Because that feels good, doesn't it? It feels good to say, hey, look what I did, man. Look what I did. That's when your gift has become a giant, when you're more concerned with doing than with being who God's calling on you to be. Is that making sense with you? Can you feel that in your family? Can you feel that at work? When there's somebody who's actually better, but you're like, well, I've always done that, but that's my identity. Hey, wait, 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 wait. Your identity is in Jesus Christ, amen? And so I need to move away from thinking I've got to do something to prove who I am, that I want to be God's person. I'm not trying to, yeah, I'm going to say this. Parents, there are some of us who will do our kids' homework for them. Because we get sucked into the doing. Well, shouldn't you put that picture over there? I mean, how come you're not doing it? Here, let me show you. Let me show you. And before you, you're, you're like, I'm going to get an A on my report. What are you doing? What are you doing there? 
buddy of mine was talking the other day who does parent coaching. He says, you start out as a caregiver and then you move to being a cop. But when your kids get up in high school, you got to get out of the chair and let them be on the field and you be the cheerleader. You be the one who says, yes, yes, go for it. Otherwise, it's dad or mom always saying, well, here, I'll do this. Don't do it. Because there comes a time when we need to stop doing and we just actually just need to be. Second, mark this down. Your gift can become a giant when I'm more focused on increase than I am on integrity. See, the problem is when I'm on the success wheel, when I'm the one that's always, oh yeah, he's always, he always does it. He always makes it happen. He always, she always gets the sale. And then it doesn't happen like it used to. I'm exhausted like David. You in it now, little man. I'm exhausted. But I don't have the humility to say, man, I need your help. Dude, I just, I need help. So you know what I do instead? I might lie and cut corners. I might try and kind of spin it. Oh, I, I just decided I just really didn't, you know. That, that account wasn't that important. I just, in my integrity, get sacrificed for my ego. My integrity gets sacrificed because I got to be seen as the one who got the sale, got the job. It's so hard to say, I need your help. Will you try saying that? That out loud, I need your help. Now, the person next to you may be thinking, I have never heard that sentence come out of her mouth. I've never heard him say that. Well, David got in a situation where he just nearly lost it all because he wouldn't say, you know what, guys, I just, my gift has so driven me, I've put myself in a foolish position. Number three, when my gifts start robbing others of using theirs, my gift has become a giant. In the rest of this, this little section, this pericope of Scripture, we find there are, there are three more giants that get slain, none of them by David. I mean, the, the list is, you know, in the course of time, there was another battle with the Philistines at Gob, and at that time... Sabokai, the Hushanite, killed Saph, one of the descendants of Rapha. So he's another one of these brothers. He's another one of this Goliath group. And in another battle with the Philistines, the Eliannam, son of Jair, killed Bethlehemite. He killed the brother of Goliath, the Gittite. It's actually, he says, hey, this was definitely one of Goliath's brothers. Who are these guys? You know why we don't know their names? Because only name was on the marquee was David up until that point, it seemed. But now, all of a sudden, there are young men, there are leaders stepping out of the shadows saying, hey, I'll do it. <clears throat> okay, I don't want to offend anybody. Does everybody agree with me on that? Churches across America have a problem. We are graying. Churches across America are graying. What that means is there's more older people and fewer younger people. Anybody seen this when you visit, you know, grandma or friends at, at, at their churches and you're like, man, oh man. Or there are churches that are all young people, you know, and you walk in, it's like, dude, where are the adults? I mean, you know, it's like the kids have taken over. Now, on the one hand, I think that's awesome. But on the other hand, I'm concerned because God did not mean to divide the generations. 
He, he, says, he says, I need you seniors to be teaching these young people. And I need you young people to help the seniors know how to use their phone. I mean, you know, I need to, I need to, I need to get you guys together this way. And so what happens is when David finally steps back, some of these young guys, some of these nameless you know, young guys, you go, what's that name? I don't know that's name. He's a giant killer. Who that is? Folks, our churches need to make room for the young giant killers. I love the comments that Pastor Shane had up here. How old is he? 16? And, you know, and he's... He's giving him a hard time. He's, he's up here sharing this beautiful comment. I'm like, wow, I love it. How long has he been a pastor? How long has he been on the team here now? A year. a year, right? A year. What are you doing letting some rookie get up here? What are you doing? And people might say, well, Pastor Mike ought to be doing that, you know? How come Pastor Mike's not, not doing his job here? Praise God, Pastor Mike, for you letting room for young men, young women, for you saying, I'm not going to let my gift, because I know you're a good preacher, I've heard you, but I'm not going to let my gift keep other young men, other young women, other young leaders from stepping up. Can I get an oh yeah on that? Now guys, that means we have to do that all across our lives. At home, we've got to give those kids opportunity. Oh, I want to have this for my kids and give them. The best thing you can give your kid is a job. And I don't mean one outside the home. I mean opportunity to lead. Opportunity to slay a giant or two. And as they grow, oh, Dad, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to say, all right, here's the keys. But that's what happens in this story. Because the opposite, I'll tell you what the opposite is. The only people you see up here are wrinkled, gray-headed people. And then we wonder why young families come in, take a look, and go, no thanks, peace out. And then we wonder why young people say church isn't for me or why they have to feel like they've got to go start a church that's nothing but young people. So what do we do? We slay the giant of our giftedness. We slay it by saying, here, you take a swing at it. Oh, she won't be as good at you as teaching that class. You know what? That doesn't matter. She needs some practice killing giants. Amen? You see, it's a choice that we have to make as families, as a church, and that David, bless his heart, he had to be kind of coached into making. Because there will always be more giants. And you and I don't want to be out there exhausted. Number four, last one. When my fame is more important than his name, when I start doing it because I want to hear my name called out. Jesus has a great little test for this. If a gift has become a giant, he says, let's just check it. In Matthew chapter 6, he says, here's the deal. When you give, when you do something good, don't let anybody see. Don't put your name on it. Give it secretly. In fact, he uses this great. Don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. I mean, do it as secretly as you can possibly do it. I work at a wonderful university that I really love, Christian College, Pepperdine University. But you walk all over that campus, and every building has a name on it. I used to think, why do they put the names on a building? Smothers Auditorium. Thornton Administration Center, Keck Science Building. Anybody want to guess why those names 
were put on those buildings? You betcha. Those are the people that wrote the great big checks so the building could be built. And for some of them, there was a discussion of how big the lettering was going to be. Now, it's easy for me to stand here because I ain't ever written a $10 million check. But I think if I wrote a $10 million check, Pastor Mike, I'd want at least 18 inches. I'm just saying. I mean, can we be real, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you be saying, dude, if you're going to get $10 million of my money, I want my picture up there. I want it in lights. And the problem is that kind of thinking comes right home to our spiritual world. So let's just talk for a minute about Jesus' test. He says, give. I love this church, and I'm thankful for what's happening here. But I also know that any church that is ministering in California is going to have to have members who are willing to give without having their name in lights. Because Jesus says, if you name your name in lights, it's like, well, you already got in your little golf clap here. But I tell you what, if you just, and I'm going to go ahead and dare you. If you're not tithing, if you're not giving 10%, and this is not something that's going to be reported. There's no you know, tithing Gestapo that's going to come to your house and sit down with you and let's see your, uh, let's see your tax return, and then we're going to figure this. No, no, no. This is between you and God. It's between you and your spouse. I want to challenge you to do it and don't tell anybody. I mean, do tell your spouse. That could be bad. But I, but I mean, do. Other than, other than, don't tell anybody. You know, that's the, that's the reason churches through the years have gone to the little bags. Because I was raised with a plate. Anybody else go to church when you were little with a given plate? Yeah, right. You know, think about the plate. It's like really easy to see who's like, whoa, that's a check. Oh, and it's kind of open. You know, I mean, as it, as it comes by, or especially if somebody drops a wad of cash in, wow. Or if there's a tinkling noise, come on, really? <laughs> Quarters, give me a break, right? I mean, as a kid, I was judgy. I was way judgy when I would, when, and, and then you get to be 12 and you're passing the plate. You're like, whoa, really? I mean, that was a Sunday when I was like, I know you. I see the car you drive. I'm going to hand that to you again. Take one more shot at that, will you? <laughs> And so I, I love the fact that the, you, you guys use the little bags. You know what the good thing about that bag is? It's not about what you can see. And Jesus says, that's exactly what will check your motive. It's a motive checker. And the motive checker is, it's not about somebody seeing. It's about me loving and honoring God. Amen. Amen. So if my gift becomes a giant, the only way to slay it, oddly enough, is to give it back to God. Here's what Paul says about this. I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, can you guys say grace of God? By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, he says, I worked harder than all the rest of them. But really, he says, it wasn't me. What do you mean, Paul? He said, God was so gracious to me, he gave me this gift. What a gift Paul had as a teacher, as an orator, as a writer, as a theologian. Oh, man, Paul, you could have made big bucks on the religious circuit, right? Going around and giving lectures. What do you do when you get a gift from God? 
put it on a shelf with your name. Hey, my gift. Do a little selfie with the gift. Hey, look at this, right? Paul said, no, what I did was, God, this is all you. You gave me this gift. Where'd you get your brains? The answer starts with a G, ends with odd. Just take, take your time on it. For those of you who are smart out there, where'd you get those smarts? For those of you who are artistic, where'd you get that talent? For those of you who are gentle and caring, where'd you get that nature? For those of you that are so good at organizing stuff, where, where'd you get that? Every gift you and I have comes from the Father above who loves giving good gifts. And that's where the praise and the glory goes. So the way to slay the giant of your gift is to give it back. It's to say, Father, this is really you. This ain't me. So I say, oh, Pastor Jeff, that's such a great lesson. Yeah, well, God gave it to me. Right? I mean, seriously. I work for UPS. I just deliver. That's all I do. God gives me the package. I bring it in. You sign the paper. I'm out the door. It's just that simple, right? Oh, man, you were so good with him. I saw the way you dealt with your... Well, really, that's just God. God. God gave that to me. Because then my gifts can be his. And the giant of pride and the giant of my gift gets slain. You know, <clears throat> do you ever wonder why Goliath, or probably David, picked up five stones? I'll need one to kill Goliath. What's up with the five? Well, as you saw in the text, well, I actually love the way Pastor Shane put this. So I'm, I'm going to let him close the lesson today. Take a look. This morning, we're wrapping up our series on uh, slaying the giants, where we've been studying the life of David. And if you were here a couple weeks ago when I spoke, you know how powerful and important the story of King David has been in my own life. But there's something about it that always bothered me. So before David goes and faces Goliath, he goes down to the stream and he picks up five smooth stones. And I always thought this was super weird. Why doesn't he trust God? Why doesn't he just take one stone into battle with him? And this is something that, that has always bothered me about this story because it feels like this lapse of faith on David's part. But recently I started thinking about it um, and I think the reason that that happens is actually explained at the end of David's life. So after David has gone through everything, after he's been king, after he's um, had his son Absalom rebel against him, after he's made his mistakes that we covered last week, um, after all of this stuff, he is this old man and he's no longer able to go out to battle. His men tell him, don't go out to war with us anymore. You just stay on the throne. And his men go out and they kill four more giants, including uh, Goliath's brother. There's a guy with six fingers on each hand and six toes. They kill four more Philistine champions. And I think when we look at it that way, it explains those stones. You see, in that moment, David was collecting the stones. He was collecting these symbols of giants being defeated. And he would only get to throw that first stone. He was only worried about that, that enormous enemy who stood in front of him and was mocking God's people, he could only focus on that giant. But you see, God was thinking down the road. God already had a plan, not just for that enemy, not just for that opponent, but the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And I think that's true for us today. I think so often we get wrapped up in what's facing us, in, in the enemy that's taunting us, in the, the giant that stands in our way. 
and we get so consumed with that and so afraid of that. But God has a stone with your giant's name on it. He has a plan to defeat not just this enemy, not just this opponent that stands in the way of his will, but the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. Amen. By looking at the life of David, we can come to understand that it was God who slayed Goliath, not David. And it was God who slayed those four other giants. And today, he still slays giants. Amen. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we pause just to say thank you. Thank you for our gifts. Thank you for the gifts that you have poured into our lives. Thank you for the gift of this church, Lord. Thank you for the gift of our families. Thank you for the gifts that are within us, our spiritual gifts, our intellectual gifts, our emotional gifts. But Father, we also confess even those gifts can become giants. So today, I, I want to pray that we just slay them by giving them back to you, giving you the glory and the honor. Lord, I first want to pray for those here who have never given a heart and life to you, who never said, God, I want that. I, I want you to be my giant slayer, Heavenly Father. And Father, who have never confessed Jesus' name, repented of their sins, been baptized into Christ. Father, I pray that even as this service ends, they'll step over under the cross and meet there and pray and talk with people. God, I, I, I want to pray for those who have never made that choice. But Lord, I also want to pray for the bunch of us who have. First, I want to pray for some of my friends who are seniors, <laughs> that God, we would, uh, we'd be able to make room for some young giant slayers. And Father, I want to pray for the young in this church, that they would have the courage to step out, even when the giants look big, and when their knees knock, Father, that, that you will know and remind them, I've got this, i got this, kid. And Father, when we think, oh man, I'm the little man and I'm in it, we are in it with you. And so today, will you prepare us to go out into this community as, uh, as giant slayer partners with you? And as we turn the page from this series into the great series on Thanksgiving that, that Mike is going to start next week, God, I pray that we'll invite a friend and we'll just pack this house out, that we'll need extra chairs next Sunday. Because we will not hold back over the giant of fear or the giant of worry. We will just invite someone and say, you need to come because I have a God who can handle whatever size giant you're facing. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for being our Lord and Savior. And we pray, come, Lord Jesus. But if you don't come today, then help those at the end of this service right now that are not ready to meet you. And Father, help us to all be more like you tomorrow than we were today. And I pray this in Jesus' holy name, and all that agree say, Amen. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. We're so glad you were able to join us today. If you'd like more information on this teaching or any other teaching, check out our website at mvcchome.org. 